0: Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 12 of the Mandolins and Beer Podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, the Mandolin Cafe. How's everybody doing? This week is Mike Marshall. Uh, normally this is where I play a little uh, mandolin ditty, but I am running late to get to a gig and my mandolin is in a case downstairs and I don't have time to go grab it. So, uh, well, we won't worry about it at this point. This episode was uh, was a great one. I'm a big fan of Mike and... Uh, it was a, it was an excellent conversation. Um, I don't want to spoil any of it. There's a lot of really cool stuff in there. So I want to thank Mike once again. MikeMarshall.net is his website. Um, he's got a lot of great things going on. Um, most importantly, the one that he really wanted to talk about was his work with Artist Works, And we go into that pretty in-depth, but it's a great online learning service that Mike's a part of. And you should definitely check it out. Um, and if you're not familiar with it, he talks a bunch about it on this podcast He's also got a safari with his wife that they're doing with some mandolin lessons, where you go to uh, Johannesburg, I believe they're they're going to and doing the safari there and mandolin lessons and fancy food and all that great stuff. So that's awesome. And um, and one of the sponsors this week this is Northfield Mandolins. It's exciting to have them on there. And uh, the first thing I can say about that is. Mike's got some great mandolins, and it says a lot about Northfield mandolins that Mike plays his a lot. He takes it pretty much everywhere with him, so I think that's impressive. For more than 10 years, Northfield's been using a blend of international perspectives and unique designs to offer something new while staying true to traditions. We're all about engaging the community of musicians, students, listeners to provide a tool that pushes the music forward and keeps us all thinking about the possibilities that lie ahead. Northfield, let's build more than a mandolin. And you should go check them out. Um, I played the uh, octave mandolin at Carter's, and I love that instrument. It's it's fantastic. Their, their stuff looks and sounds great. So be sure to go to uh, Northfield Mandolin's website. Check it out. I'll have a link Uh, Right here on the website, mandolinsandbeer.com. So thank you to Northfield. And again, I think um, the the best thing you can say better than any ad copy is the fact that Mike Marshall talks so highly about him, and he talks about that during this podcast as well. Another sponsor this week is our buddy Scott Enlow. Scott is a mandolin player and an amazing woodworker. Uh, Scott makes handmade picking stools that are crafted in the shape of mandolins. Scott's been a sponsor for multiple podcasts, and these, these stools are incredible looking. They're built with the finest hardwoods, detailed with inlaid strings, Bridge, tailpiece, and sound holes, one-of-a-kind stools as unique as your own picking style. Add that special look to your practice or performance space. And you can check out Scott's work at scottsboatworks.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-S, boatworks.com. Or Scott Enloe Woodworking on Facebook. And Enloe is E-N-L-O-E. So thank you, Scott. Thank you, Northfield. Um, all these links will be available at Mandolins and Beer. Go there and you can drop me a note on the uh, contact page. You can send me a quick email, say hey. Um, You can support me by buying some swag. You can buy shirts, stickers, and koozies. The hats will be here. They're shipping out, I believe, the 25th or the 26th. So I'm excited for those as well. Be sure also to follow me on Instagram and Facebook, and let's see what else is going on. Oh, the Spotify playlist! Check out the Spotify playlist. Got a lot of great songs going on it. Again, um, if you're new to the podcast, once again, every week I update the Spotify playlist with the tunes that are sampled during the podcast. I play the. You can find the full versions of them. Unfortunately, on this podcast, I do have a sample from um, a Mike Marshall and Edgar Meyer radio show that used to be available online. And I looked it up today. I was going to copy the link to it, but when I went to the part where it said listen, it was trying to download it to my computer, and uh, I kept getting an error message saying this file is not safe. So uh, You can try to track it down at your own risk, but just a heads up, I was having some issues. It was an old NPR show that used to be readily available for download, um, and I don't know what the status of that link is any longer. So It's out there if you want it, but Uh, I, I would not recommend downloading anything that's saying it might be hazardous to your computer. All right, though, with that said, let's get to our podcast. Everybody, thanks again for listening. Please hit subscribe. Follow me on the social media. Share it on the social media. That's the best way that you can help me promote this podcast. And let's get into it here with Mike Marshall. Now I'd like to welcome... To the podcast, the Mandolins of Beer podcast. One of my mandolin heroes, Mike Marshall. Mike, how are you today?
1: Oh, I'm great. Nice to see, hear you, Daniel, and thank you for putting this stuff together and oh, being so
0: enthusiastic about
1: our Abs- the instrument we love so
0: much. Oh, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. And you're you're hanging out with uh, uh, the uh, gentleman who was just on a few episodes ago. You're at Joe Walsh's place.
1: That's right. I'm here with Daryl Anger. We just got done playing. Well, we were in Flagstaff at the Pickin' in the Pines Festival and then we flew out here to Boston and we played a little show up at the near the McDowell Center up in the, up in New Hampshire and then we're playing in a little uh music store, music emporium here locally and then up to freshgrass on the weekend. Wow, so that's great. Stopped by Joe's to just kinda hang out and be Mando nerds for an afternoon.
0: Oh, that's so cool. But to be a fly on a wall, I think a few people <laughs> would be thinking right now for that.
1: Well, we have so. some very sweet instruments here. I must say we've got, uh, Joe's got a Gilchrist and a Nugget yeah. uh, mandolin. And then I have this Northfield here. Um, and so we're just A, B, Cing them to death and trying different picks and, and talking and tone and color and bone structure and brightness and volume all those things and then he's got some mandolas and some octave mandolins it's it's a real fest
0: oh that's awesome Point northfield is uh what a what a great company they've just been taking off um, yeah
1: i love working with um adrian Begale, the head of the company there he and i met at the Noa gathering and just hit it off immediately and it's been about five years now working together on his new artist model. And this is the fifth one I have in my hands here. Wow. And every one has just gotten better. It seems like whenever I've come to him with some idea, saying, you know, I love this part of the mandolin, but if we could beef up this one area here on the next one. Uh, sure enough, he puts another one in my hand six months later. And <laughs> It's even closer to that ideal that we're, we're always looking for. So great company, wonderful to work with, and an ongoing relationship in terms of, you know, where these instruments are going. We're, we're in a constant search yeah. for the to make them always better
0: yeah that's awesome I, I am absolutely in love with the octave mandolin that they have out Isn't there that right something? now it is oh it's a sweetie it's much to my wife's chagrin when we were in nashville last time <laughs> i think we went back to carter's maybe a third time even because i was okay. just like okay. you know Jesus, like had to try it but oh, well once you
1: play the mandolin then you, you you know all of a sudden you get this thing with the same tuning but it has low f and sustain and You begin to realize it's capable of so much other stuff.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, you can play it solo really easily. You can strum it with another guitar player or mandolin.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, it's definitely on my wish list. I will, uh, I'm I'm sure, uh, have one of those within a year if I have my, my druthers. I love them, and it's just a matter of. You know, ju- yeah. just justifying like, you know what, I could probably use this for. Uh... <laughs> you know? You'll find
1: uses for
0: it, that's for
1: sure. You know, um, I just did a, a a lesson on my online teaching thing about how to use that instrument, in fact. Because oh, no people kidding. were going, gee, I'm trying to do a chop cord on this thing, and it just sounds kind of buzzy and weird. I'm like, <laughs> no, 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 that's <laughs> not how you use this instrument. <laughs> <laughs> oh and so here I just gave kind of a demonstration of some of the things I would do and yeah. students seem to really appreciate it. And that's is that uh, the artist works? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's awesome. my online teaching world. And uh that's been a that's been a really great way to connect with a lot of mandolin players.
0: I would imagine so. And um I've seen some of the demo videos too and where, you know, they send you videos and you can you critique it and I mean what a what
1: a yeah what i think an it's the only research. site out there like that that actually does video exchanges where and it's funny because i've been doing this for like nine years and i still meet mandolin players who don't understand quite how it works but you, what the way it works is there's a curriculum that you can watch that's Um, you know, three cameras shoot and starts at the very beginning and marches you forward. That's one part of the website. But Mm -hmm. the most interesting part to me is the video exchange part where a student uh, films themselves playing a tune and then it sends it to me and then I film myself telling them the things that they could maybe do better. And then these two get linked and put back on the website for anyone can watch it. And so... Boy, that's just been amazing. And it's a library. These things are stored forever. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and so you can go back and watch things, or you can search for a tune. G. did Mike ever teach Cuckoo's Nest? Let me see. And bam, there comes, you know, 300 Cuckoo's nests that I've done. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's a phenomenal resource, I got to say, with all the sheet music there and tablature. Oh,
0: nice. Play along
1: tracks at three different tempos with brian sutton playing guitar or me get out of here no it's a it's an amazing thing and i think people don't quite understand it because it's such a new concept this idea of a because it's not a live skype lesson right right You film yourself. What I like about it, actually, is the students sometimes will say, well, this is the 10th time I've filmed this thing, and it's still, it's not perfect, but I think I got it pretty good for you, Mike. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? That's great, because this guy already got better before he even saw me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's (laughs) He's watching himself and going, hey, I can clean that little area up there. Absolutely.
0: Uh, are Are you familiar with Tristan Scroggins? Oh yeah, yeah. Tristan had, had him
1: a, at um, uh, my Savannah workshop oh, one year. Oh yeah, he came to that.
0: Yeah, he's great. He was. He was. Student. He posts a lot of really good videos online on his Instagram, and we. He was on the mm-hmm. podcast as well, and one of the his things that he said it was is being able to finally put it out there. <laughs> he's just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's like, a hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. No, and that, that's that's one of the hard things for the students. But I tell you, once they do it. And we start a relationship and start talking and hanging out. After two or three videos, then it's really we become like buds, you know. And they they talk to me like, "Hey, I tried that thing you you showed me, and it seemed to be helping. And uh, here's another idea I had. Which fingering do you like better, this one or that one?" Yeah. So then they relax, and we can actually get down to the work, you know.
0: Sure. And- well, I would imagine that would help free somebody up to play anywhere. Then, uh, you know, if they can if they can feel comfortable sending you videos of them playing, them going to like the uh, them going <laughs> oh, to like the bluegrass jam. Though, I mean, that seems yeah. to be a lot of people are scared to play in front of people. I mean, uh, yeah. myself included. You know, I just it's a one big bump of, to get over.
1: One of the things I love about this style, though, socially, it's very comforting and very welcoming. Of of young people and new people. I mean, you have to find the right situation. You know, you don't want to just walk in on Jerry Douglas and Sam Bush backstage <laughs> at their gig and say, hey, I want to play with y'all. <laughs> you know, you got to find people at your level and, you know, maybe a little bit better than you so you can learn
0: something. Absolutely.
1: But, uh, but not so hot and playing all the fastest stuff in the world that you're you're feeling really intimidated. So you have to look around. You know, I am always encourage people to, even if it's just one other person, you know, to get together with. Maybe somebody who plays guitar, if you play mandolin. Um, and I get, sometimes I'll have people that send me themselves jamming with two or three people. No, no And they're like, what do you think? You know, how's my chop? Am I Russian? Am I drag?
0: <laughs> ah, oh, that's awesome.
1: And so I can really give them tips on that. Even a whole band playing, I'll sometimes talk about well, the fiddle player. Here's some ideas for some backup lines for him, and wow. the banjo player should play fiddles on the third verse. You know? Yeah, that's <laughs> it's so. It's like cool. I'm almost producing their, their band <laughs> via this uh, new format. It's, yeah, it's
0: pretty fun. That's amazing, man! And what a no. I mean, it just the technology that you must have seen again in just all this um, in the mandolin oh, yeah. world since since oh. when you started out, right?
1: Oh my God! You know when I think of me with my LPs in 1971, slowing down Sam Bush solos from from uh, 33 to
0: 16. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Where did you start? How did you get into mandolin?
1: Well, I had a teacher. I took guitar lessons down in Lakeland, Florida. My mom just sent me to the local music store. I was about 12 years old. Jim Hillegas. I mean, it turned out that he was a great teacher. I got very lucky. He played all the different string instruments. He wasn't a virtuoso. He didn't play like burning stuff. He mm-hmm. just knew enough about each instrument to kind of get me started. Uh, one of the things he did, he made sure that I learned to read music and also and the fundamentals like that, you know, Alfred's basic guitar method from, you know, the 60s. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then, uh, but he also started a bluegrass band and taught us how to play by ear and I think I started on bass, you know, just oh, no singing kidding. tunes and playing. And then he was playing mandolin, and pretty soon after a, a year, he handed me the mandolin and said, "Here's how you do a chop chord. You can do this." And eventually banjo, and, and so I've always been grateful to him that kind of got me started. It, with the feet it was one foot in each camp, you know, learning theory, learning to read, but also playing by ear and just jamming, we went to our first bluegrass festival up in Georgia. um, And eventually we became a teenage bluegrass band, the Sunshine Bluegrass Boys, with our, you know, with our name painted on the side of the banjo player's Winnebago, his parents had.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) The whole bit. Uh, We went to all those
1: festivals, you know, and my life just exploded with this style of music. Socially, you know, I got way into it
0: yeah who was your first uh big influence that you that was that really blew your mind in that world well you
1: know the first the first
0: explosion was going to my first festival and, the, and and there
1: were you know i mean everyone was playing this festival ricky skaggs was probably a teenager playing with the stanley brothers and marty stewart was there with lester flat and a year later there was tony rice and jerry douglas with jd Crow and New South, and you know, I was didn't realize you know, Doc Watson was there. So everybody, Doyle Lawson, uh, Jimmy Goodrow, the whole foundation of man. american <laughs> music you know. Wow! and they were and this was a festival that was two weekends uh separated by a whole week was workshops in
0: between oh no kidding
1: so i was taking lessons from red rector and, and kenny baker and joe stewart and uh all through the week and then on the weekends here comes the bands the famous groups you know so Mac Wiseman, Tim and Jesse, Osborne Brothers, all of them. So I just brought back piles of records and learned every solo from every mandolin player I could find.
2: Yeah.
1: And then the thing that really blew my mind, of course, was hearing Sam Bush and the New Grass Revival for the first time. That was pretty much it for me. Then, then the top of my head blew off. You know, I said, "Okay, this is this is the direction I want to go with with mandolin playing and this whole idea of where you might take string band music. You know, that there is this tradition, and then there's where is the tradition going, and what else can you do with these instruments?" So it was Sam, and then of course. When Tony Rice joined David Grisman and they were about to form the David Grisman Quintet, I got very interested. I knew something really cool was going to come out of that. And sure enough, the first David Grisman Quintet record was a milestone for my whole generation. Sort of leapfrogged over many, many uh, developmental stages. <laughs> <and> <laughs> sort of pointed the way for all of us. And
2: yeah, Tony that's... already
1: had met me, and he told David, you know, that there was this young kid in Florida that was good. So eventually, I moved out to the West Coast and got hired the first week I was there.
0: Wow, that's a that's pretty sweet.
1: <laughs> well, I had already learned all the music off the record so uh i just walked in and could play the music already so yeah. i i often tell young kids if if somebody did that with my music i'd i'd move him in the basement immediately
0: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you know what i yeah. mean <laughs> oh.
0: oh my god that's great
1: essentially that's what tony did i'd moved in to his house and
0: <laughs> wow that's so and, and that was just from meeting tony and jamming with tony at festivals and, and different things like that.
1: Yeah, you know how it is in this scene, you know, that yeah. when
0: they're, when a young kid comes along who's really good, we usually know
1: about him early on. Right. In their in their career. I remember hearing about Chris sealy when he was probably eight years old. Right. There's like this young kid teo from the
0: West Coast. Oh, he's so good for is it the, really bare, playing well. Barefoot. He was, oh, I can't think of the name of this band, but um is it Barefoot Quails, yeah. something like that? He's so good. Right so that's the kind of thing you know you hear about these you see them they're already backstage
1: jamming with David Grisman and at the at the picking in the pines thing
2: Right
1: and so uh, it was that kind of thing for me I was probably I probably met Tony when I was like 16 or 17 and saw him for a couple of years at the various festivals with JD Crowe and then you know, I was in touch with David Grisman. I ordered a bunch of those LPs. I just called him on the phone and said, send me a box of 30. And I made all my students buy them.
0: Uh. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> and awesome. So that's great. he was like, wow, there's this maniac in Florida. Who is this kid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. So how old were you at that point?
1: Well, see, I took over my teacher's students when I was still oh, in high school. Wow, I, he retired, and I. He said, "You take over the teaching part." I was probably sixteen or seventeen,
0: and you know, kind of limped
1: my way through high school. Got a got a diploma somehow. I'm shocked <laughs> that they gave me one. Uh, I did a work study program actually, and they, they gave me a diploma oh, <laughs> my last year. But anyway, you know, so I was already teaching and you know doing all that stuff as a way of making a living before even like barely graduating high school. And so um, I had a lot of time. I was just talking to Joe about it, you know, that uh, teaching is a wonderful way to enable you to kind of pick and choose what kind of gigs you really want to do. And I'm realizing now I'm still kind of doing that. You know, this online teaching thing enables me to not have to tour all the time. Right. Kind of pick and choose how much of it. I got two little girls, six and eight years old. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, a big teenager. Well, she's in college now, 20 years old. So I love love being around for them and then still go out. You know, Daryl and I are doing this little run. And, and uh, I did some stuff with Edgar this summer i'll do some things with Katerina when we go back to europe yeah that's so great.
0: yeah your wife but, is also uh and if, if if people aren't familiar your wife is also an incredible mandolin player
1: Yeah, yeah, we're, it's pretty silly. Yeah. What does David Grisman call us? The first family of mandolin. Ah, that's uh. so great.
0: <laughs> you know what? Actually, um, today on the podcast that I released uh, today was with a uh, Scott from Mandolin Cafe, and oh, he, cool! And he was talking about one of the things that we talked about was the the, the change in tides and things he's seen since he started. You know, the Mandolin mm-hmm. Cafe, and one of the things mm-hmm. was the amount of incredible um, female players that have like just kind of growing you know because it's kind of like a boys club at one point and but they're always yeah, great right. female players right. it's just and he said that mike compton said that katarina's right and left hand is probably the best he's ever seen <laughs> he says that on it's the podcast really that's amazing and she is incredible um, i would recommend if you see her
1: i mean mostly she's playing a bullback back mandolin of course which is something very different for the american audience right but if you see her get on an F5 with <laughs> one of the picks we use you've never heard such tone in your life no i mean kidding. It's, it's absolutely off the charts and i've learned as much about the right hand from her as anyone i ever played with it's it's stunning she has a i was talking to joe about it she's she's into this idea of two ways to pluck the string one is where your pick is kind of going down towards the floor, like most of us do or mm-hmm. up towards the ceiling. And the other way is more of a uh, 45 degree angle where you're kind of laying the pick almost flat on the string mm-hmm. and doing mm-hmm. a kind of pucking into the back of the mandolin oh, really? with, wow. with a rest stroke on the string below it. And it's a really powerful sound. If you think about it, it's kind of what Bill Monroe would use in his most, Aggressive bluesy playing, all downstrokes.
0: Gotcha. Yeah,
1: it's not something you would do for super fast playing, but for like pulling the tone and getting the volume and really making the whole back of the instrument resonate. Oh yeah, it's powerful. And and I've been incorporating that into a lot of my playing. Was Joe was watching me today and going like, "What is up with your right hand, dude? (laughs) You like like changed everything."
0: I'm like, "Yeah, Katarina."
1: That's I've so been, cool. You know, I get, I get lessons daily, man. Come yeah, on. Yeah, no
0: kidding. I can't imagine how great that would be. <laughs>
1: it's like ridiculous how, how much he's thought about this stuff. And what's really weird is a lot of these techniques are in the old mandolin methods from like 200 years ago or 100 years ago. They no talk kidding. about it very specifically yeah, during the the glory period like in France in the 18th century oh,
2: wow.
1: and then later, later, Kalachi and uh, 19th century so it's it's you know it's funny because mandolin in america is like a folk instrument mm-hmm. but but in you know we do have a classical tradition you know yeah. that goes back and there have been times when this stuff was taught legitimately and she still i mean she's part of that legacy she's a professor at the music conservatory
0: that's so great so. You, yeah, you put so out, you, did you put out a couple of those Kalaci books as well? Am I saying that right?
1: Yeah, we did. We took the six volumes and we condensed them into two, so they're a little thicker, but uh, yeah, we translated them from the Italian to the
0: English. Wow! And uh, it's all there,
1: man. I really can't recommend it
0: enough. Yeah, that's that's some great stuff too. It's uh... we just finished her solo recording.
1: Oh uh, no, kidding. Just about to finish the last couple of little tweaky edits on it and um, get it out here uh, within the year for
0: oh, sure. Oh, man. Well, let me know when she does that. I'd love to have her on here. We can uh, oh, uh, yeah, we'll for sure. put, put a she's, podcast out, and that'd be great.
1: Oh, she's a delight. Yeah, very awesome. funny. And you can do it in any language you like. <laughs> English, German, Bulgarian. <laughs> she can do Russian, Bulgarian, or German if you like. <laughs>
0: And you guys are doing. I should. I should plug this as well. You guys are doing a mandolin safari together, correct? In February.
1: Oh yeah, that's coming up in February. We've we've created this way of traveling the globe with our mandolins. It's called the the uh, Mandolin World Retreats, and we're for this time we've been to Sicily a couple of times, and we do a regular event in Napa Valley, Venicia, California, in March. But this February, we're taking it to uh, just outside of Johannesburg. And uh, I can't wait for that. Oh, my God, we're bringing the kids. So at like five in the morning, you go out in the open air Jeeps and do a, do a you know, a safari run and see the wild animals in, the, in their, their natural habitat. Then you come back and have breakfast late morning and then play your mandolins in the afternoon and then go back out in the evening for another viewing. <laughs>
0: That sounds like the most amazing, <laughs> the most amazing you, time I mean, ever. Can you
1: imagine? I mean, no, Jesus. I can't. I just, I, I saw the, thinking.
0: I saw the little promo clip today. I was watching it. I'm like, oh, what? Am what? I doing? what am I doing in February? <laughs> <laughs> no, it
1: should be, it should be pretty killer, and of course, a very small group. And you know, I think we're limited it to sixteen, and uh, so we'll see. But then yeah. come March, a little more uh, normal one will be up there in Napa. Um, we'll be getting the promo for that out very shortly.
0: So let's get back to your, um, so you, you join, you join up with Grisman and, 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 and Tony Rice and that. And so how does that change I Well, mean, your world? I mean, that's gotta be.
1: It totally flipped me out completely. It was a, it was a life changing experience and musically it was completely phenomenal to be a part of this because I like I said, I'd already learned the music and I mm-hmm. played along with the recordings and learned those tunes. And so to experience it live, though, and be a part of it. And I mean, anybody who's had the honor of getting to play with Tony Rice's rhythm guitar, it there's nothing like it in the world. It, it, um, it elevates the music and makes... Um, You feel like you're flying, you know, or or you feel like you're in the the most incredible sports car, uh, able to make turns that you never could have imagined. It's not necessarily about playing hard and fast and loud either. Yeah, sure. I mean, he brought this kind of delicate uh, classiness to the music that I think drew everybody in it doesn't blow you away. It kind of sucks you in. Oh, yeah. And, and you're, you're kind of gone. You know, when you hear that, you just, you don't want to screw it up because <laughs> it's yeah. so beautiful. Sure. You just, you just want to make sure that what you're doing is complimenting it and fitting in with it. Um, you know, Todd Phillips on bass, Daryl on violin. I mean, that was like a, that was a dream. It was really a dream. And then they were in the middle of making a soundtrack to a movie David was writing, a movie called King of the Gypsies. Mm -hmm. And so after a week of us just hanging out, we all went down to L.A. and recorded the soundtrack with a full orchestra. But he hired Stefan Grappelli to play the violin (laughs) parts. So I was getting to play with Stefan. And, you know, I mean, this was... I was like 20 years old. You can imagine how that was. Oh, man.
0: My mind's blown just thinking about it, you know? And then we went on
1: tour with Stefan for a month all over the U.S. And then a year later, we went to Europe. My first time to Europe was touring with Stefan's band and our band. Wow. That that was Mark O'Connor playing guitar by then and Rob Wasserman on bass. So, you know, I mean, to be in a group like that, playing that music at that level. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't know anything that could be better for, for me at that time. Sure. And that was like, How and then come- we would meet people like Sam and Bela whenever we were near their towns or, or at a festival and then they would all join us. And so it, it led to, it opened up the doors to meeting all these different musicians, Edgar Meyer, Jerry Douglas. And, um, Eventually, they all became buddies, and you know, we play on each other's records. And so you just kind of get sucked down into this community, which is all trying to do similar kinds of things. Right. You know, we were all instrumentalists none of us were great singers so <laughs> <laughs> i mean of course we met ricky skaggs but he became a country star because he's right. got such an incredible voice you know when you have a voice like that you don't you know
0: <laughs> yeah yeah you can <laughs> you, you and do. it worked out he came back to bluegrass afterwards he's like all right I've, well yeah made some money and i can come back and do right. what i love
1: and <laughs> still about the singing it was interesting that yeah, tony dude. was kind of straddling both worlds great singer of course
0: yeah for sure
1: uh, right. But he always had one foot in, interested in the instrumental side, and um, I learned a lot. You know. Yeah. How does that him. How does
0: that change your? Um, you know, you you're living in Florida, you're teaching music, and you have like one set of ways that you're trying to grow as a musician, and then you you get thrown into this like tornado or of yeah. incredible musicians. How does that change your approach to the instrument? Well, that's... At the
1: exactly how it was it was a it was a tidal wave of of inspiration and and information you know the how to play a groove (laughs) 101
2: right right
1: how to tune your instrument how to learn of tune how to be in the recording studio um all of those fundamentals how to socially interact with people you respect so much Mm -hmm. Um, all those things you you you're just thrown into it and if you're smart and aware and keep your mouth shut at the right times (laughs) um, things will you'll you'll hear the information you need to hear I guess would be my advice to young people and you see that with the good ones um, even today you know when they're really good they're also really smart, usually, and they are very cool, and they then that makes the older musicians actually want to hang out with them, and um, and so <laughs> I, you know, I just tried to take it all in as much as i could and that's where i mean that was my graduate school i guess you could say
0: sure wow well quite the graduate school that's uh <laughs> yeah you know.
1: that's where you get thrown in you start working or an apprenticeship of sorts you know you tried to play harmonies with david grisman and he was very you know he wanted it done well So uh, yeah. if there was a note that was out of time or, or the wrong pitch, you know, we'd, we'd talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, that's uh, great. So you just, you know, you're definitely on your toes.
0: It, you, you mentioned groove, which I think is a really interesting, cause that's one thing that I love about a lot of the stuff that you've played on and a lot of these people that you're mentioning and, and and I'm not saying bands nowadays don't have groove, but it sure seems like mm-hmm. you guys were able to keep groove and speed at the same time. Kind of like Grappelli's the same way. Grappelli can play at blistering speeds and never loses the swing.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's definitely something that we're very conscious of. Mm-hmm. Um, not only being accurate, mm-hmm. but, uh, but having the right kind of feel and not making the tempo so fast that you start to lose something. It's usually a trade-off. If you're going to go so fast that it's kind of beyond your ability to actually hit all the notes, then the groove is also going to go out the window. Right, right. And I think that is something that young musicians need to learn (laughs) eventually. Hopefully they do learn.
0: Uh, Yeah, well, I think there's... uh, You know, I think a guy like uh, Jake... He's a good example of a guy who can play blistering fast, but can still. His right hand is like he's he's put the time into listening to the right stuff. I think. And uh, well,
1: yeah, this is um that you just take um, the things that inspire you and try to try to really listen, try to really listen to everything that's there. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's easy for young people to just be enamored by speed, sure, and try to go for that. But of course there's so wow. much more in music than that. And I'm, I'm always trying to encourage, like I teach a lot, right? right so right. so I, I, I like to see the whole picture and, and particularly at a thing like my Savannah workshop, mm-hmm. the acoustic music seminar. I started, yeah. it's been 10 years now.
0: Wow, um, so great.
1: A lot of the work we do there, I'm, I'm hand-selecting 16 of the hottest young people that audition and so i've had all of these amazing musicians there young people Uh, many bands have formed out of coming to that event and the way it works is they're they're good enough now they're writing their own music Mm -hmm. and they bring their own tunes to the thing and i form bands so i make three or four bands out of the 16 and they work for three hours on a composition and then they come together and are coached by myself and either julian lodge or brian sutton or Ifo Donovan, whoever I happen to have as a guest instructor. Mm-hmm. And so these kids are getting the real deep insight into some of these things you're talking about. We're, we're going all the way down into like, okay, that solo you took was really great, but let's face it, you just played way too many notes for the mood. <laughs> right. You know, right, what right. are you doing? This song is not about you. Yeah. This is about the singer. You know, you should be. Sensitive to what the song really needs right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times for young people, that's like, Oh dude, you know, shoot, but they go away from it and they realize, Oh wow. I get it. I I understand now what Mike was talking about there. Um, You know, a mandolin player's chop, you know, where does that sit in the beat Mm -hmm. is a very important thing. You know, is it, is it driving the tune is it laying back? Is it making the band feel good? That's the number one thing that any rhythm player has to keep in mind, is that your job is is to make everyone else sound good.
0: Right, right.
1: That's also hard for young people.
0: Yeah, it's hard for old people.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I love what Sam Bush being my hero. He's always said that. That's his mantra, is my job when I'm playing rhythm is to make you Your life really easy.
2: Yeah, that's. I want to make it
1: really easy for you to solo, and I want you to sound great. You know, and what better advice could you give somebody? Right, it's like a young person coming up, and and um, well, it's just inspiring. You know, to to get to share this kind of stuff with people. Yeah, it's amazing. it's, It's what it's about. I'm at that age now where I've had all these experiences and and i just want to give it back you know and let let people know what was taught to me and share it it's not it doesn't have to be some big mystery you know we can we can sit down and chat about it and uh and review and fix
0: (laughs) right right was there is there like a common thing that you see in a lot of these lessons that you that um seems to get overlooked by a lot of of players in general i mean i'm sure you see all sorts of things but is there something that like if you were to say fundamentally there's one thing that i would say if somebody listening to this podcast wanted to try to work on something
1: well it all depends on what
0: level of player we're talking about mm-hmm. because
1: i you know on my website teaching on artist works i have a lot of beginners you know mm-hmm. and i've welcomed them sure i i feel like well gee you know let's get you started on the right foot right away you know if you just bought a mandolin that's that's a perfect person to sign up because i want to get like the posture thing is a big one for beginners just get somebody holding the instrument in a way that's going to facilitate them playing well right or you know how you hold the pick what are your legs doing what's the angle i i actually am a big believer in all that stuff fundamentals sure absolutely what's your down up down up situation with the pick uh is it is it working with the tune and the phrasing of the melody um so that that's at a very basic level when you get into intermediate where guys are soloing then it's then it's a whole nother thing because it it might be like hey dude like you're playing g pentatonic through this whole tune and You know, it goes to an E chord over here. So Mm. let's talk about what notes work when that E chord comes, you know. Right. Maybe you can change up some of those so that they match the harmony of that moment, you know. So that's more advanced. Right, sure. Somebody sending me a Bach piece. Well, then we're talking about fingerings and phrasing and and all kinds of stuff, color and dynamics. So... That's a deep question, you know. Yeah, man. That's what I love about this <laughs>
0: instrument, though, man. Is that's the beautiful thing about this instrument is it just seems, you know. I think some people look at it as this bluegrass machine, but you're talking playing Bach and you're talking colors and tones and sounds and it's, yeah, there's so much packed into this, well, you know. It
1: yeah, it led me to discover all the music of the world. Really, yeah. That's you know, actually my started.
0: My next question.
1: but you know, I found out about Brazilian music and Balkan music and classical music mm-hmm. through this journey, just a just the doors opening. You know, gee, what would it sound like if I tried to play a Bach piece on, on the mandolin, you know, in Lakeland, Florida, nineteen seventy one? Believe me, nobody was doing that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's just my own impetus, loving music and and the mandolin has led me to all these wonderful places
0: how did you get into the brazilian music because I, that brazil duets album oh, is easily one of my most listened to oh, uh, wow. i just i love Ooh. it love it <laughs>
1: joining david Grisman's band we were touring around and david had a cassette of jacob de Mm Bandolin. and it's a lot of the music that he later would put out on his own label but in those days we were just listening to this cassette going what is going on Music. It sounds incredible, but none of us knew that there was such a thing called a seven string guitar. We didn't know what was going on with the bass because it's like pretty busy, sure. not playing a regular dupe back, you know, root <laughs> fifth thing like we do <laughs> yeah. at Bluegrass. Mm-hmm. And then there's this rhythm instrument. It sounds like a ukulele, but it has metal strings. when none of us had ever seen a cavaquino. And the percussion, we were clueless. You know, pandero. Uh, like, yeah. I didn't even have the, hear the word for another 10 years. <laughs> but we loved the mandolin. Yeah. And it was like, hey, there's a mandolin. This is great. Look at this, these melodies. Isn't this cool? So that was my first introduction to it. But it would be many years. It would be like maybe you. Another 10 years before I started unpacking all that and figuring out and meeting people, meeting Brazilians, meeting Americans who were also interested, whether they were classical musicians or jazz musicians who had maybe been to Brazil and learned about the music and little by little by little. I went, whoa, there is something here. These are beautiful tunes, yeah. beautiful harmonies, beautiful syncopations. And I started learning just a couple of them. And then, you know, once you fall into that rabbit hole, it's very hard to get. Out. Yeah, yeah.
0: There's <laughs> you, so much. You, it's good like stuff.
1: eating potato chips. You know, <laughs> don't start. <laughs> <laughs> you can't stop. So I just started learning tunes and learning tunes. And then I went to Brazil with, the, well, the Turtle Island String Quartet, mm-hmm. buddies of mine, Daryl Anger was in the group. They were going down for a tour. And they were going to be teaching for a week in Sao Paulo at a music camp where all the greatest Brazilian musicians would be. And they said, Mike, I know you're into this music. Why don't you come with us and just be our sound man and tour? Manager? Wow. <laughs> so they took me down there, and that's when I just went crazy because every night, you know, we would go to these little cafes and there'd be a choro band playing. And I was just, what is going on? And then these musicians who were already for friends of ours fans of ours
2: mm-hmm.
1: from the music we've done up here they would take me shopping and take me to the music store and say you'll love this cd this guy's great here's some sheet music oh, Wow! Oh came back with a pile of charts and a pile of cds and then that was it i think that was 1995 and i went all the way over the edge of the cliff and, and just started learning tune after tune.
0: How did you come and, up with that concept of the uh, Brazil duets as far as picking what instrument you wanted to accompany you on some of those tunes? Because I think that's a really cool part of it, too. Well, I was um,
1: really, I was I was wanting to turn all my American acoustic musician friends on to <laughs> awesome. So that, you know, in terms of like Bela Fleck and Edgar, they were buddies and yeah. I just invited them. I said I set him a cassette of like five tunes and said, pick whichever one you want to play. And um they did. But the piano players like um Andy Norrell, I was touring with the modern mandolin quartet and Andy Norrell is a great steel drum player and pianist. And during sound check, him and I would play choros every day. Oh cool. <laughs> with him on piano and me on mandolin. We just read through them. And he was having a blast because he understood the grooves. He understood Brazilian music and a lot of music from South America and Trinidad and Puerto Rico. So he could put all these funky left-hand things underneath. Oh, and jo- Jovino Santos Neto was the pianist with the famous composer Hermeto Pascoal from Brazil, mm-hmm. who I was a huge fan of. And he had just moved up to Seattle, so he was nearby. So we got together a few times and and that's how those duets came about. So it was just a mixture of, you know, me just calling my buddies and, just going, hey,
2: let's record a couple of these things, man. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's and so it great. eventually became a record, you know, yeah. over the course of probably a couple of years.
0: Yeah, but what a great record! I love it, man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, Thank absolutely. You. So you had that. You had the um, the Alex hargraves and uh, Paul court Was that part of the? Or were those some young guys that were at your camp? Is that how that the big trio?
1: Let's see, when did I, I think I met them before that? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember the exact dates. Maybe it was after that. I just, you know, of course, Paul is just such an amazing musician. Yeah. And he was, um, this was, of course, before he, it might have been right after, it might have been right after the first uh, camp in Savannah, Acoustic Music Seminar. And I think Alex was there. Um, I just started writing like crazy. I just started putting down all kinds of melodic ideas and rhythmic things, little snippets. Mm -hmm. And um, I invited them out and said, okay, guys, I don't have any finished tunes, but let's get together and put these pieces together and see if we can't uh, make music together. And it was just a great experience because they're well they're such stunning instrumentalists and they also have really cool ideas arrangement wise um they're just big thinkers um paul has played a lot of classical music and so he's bringing all of that harmony and counterpoint ideas to whatever you know, situation he's involved in and so that was it we we kind of lived together for a week how oh, <laughs> cool I was a bachelor to time, and we just went <laughs> yeah. at it and just ate together, played music all day, and uh, got a got a CD's of material out of it. The yeah. big trio,
0: the big trio. That's so great. And then we're I, working on another one oh, too. Are you I'm, really? I'm in the
1: process of writing, and we're trying to find the dates to put together another oh, hang cool. time. That's yeah. so great.
0: And yeah. then. Um, so, it happen next year. Oh, great! Well, man, let me know. I'll definitely uh, do, okay. do whatever I can on this end to uh, help get the word out on that. And then you got, and then obviously, into the cauldron has a lot of the people that I've interviewed on this podcast. That's been one of those albums that gets mentioned as a uh, a watermark for a lot of a lot oh. of players right now.
1: Man, yeah, it was a seemed like a real uh, explosion for mandolin playing at the time. But you know, Chris and I just wanted to do it. We didn't even have any material. We literally got together and started playing. I had a few things mm-hmm. kind of written, um, but all those arrangements were created in the studio. Wow! Believe it or not. You know, we would just say, oh, that's cool. Can you play the harmony to that? And the next person would. (laughs) (laughs) Like pretty much instantaneously. Uh, And we were able to sift through a lot of ideas rather quickly because of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I had had spent a lot of time writing something like the Bach D minor counterpoint. Um, I believe that's on that record. Maybe it's There's on the live a, record.
0: There is definitely a Bach piece on the um, on the. Into oh the no, cauldron. we did we did the uh,
1: one of the Goldberg variations. That's, that's right. That's right. And so I was just reading the left hand of the piano, and he was reading the right. Wow, that's no no big deal. Anyone no big, could no do big it. Deal.
0: <laughs> 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 Well, not I mean, not anyone could do it. <laughs> <Let's>... <laughs> it's Simply there, you uh, just have
1: to play one note after the other. <laughs> yeah. Oh
0: my gosh, that's great. Um, and then um, I saw you guys on that tour. You played the Ark in Ann Arbor. Oh, sure, I remember that gig. And that gig blew my. That gig put me on the path that I'm on today, man. Oh, how cool. You could come how away cool. from that gig two ways. You could come away with that gig thinking, "I don't know why I bother playing mandolin." <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, or you no, can... we didn't want
1: to do that. No, I'm glad no, you took the other path.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I'll tell you what. I, I left there with a mind full of possibilities you know oh, like i cool. had like an hour and a half two hour drive home and i couldn't wait to get home so i could just right. pick up the mandolin because right. and you oh, guys
1: good.
0: the version and there's a live version of this out there the version of gator strut that you guys did that night and there's mm. a live version from when you did the wood songs oh yeah out there on youtube oh my god i was
1: so sick on that show were you I had really? like 102
0: temperature oh no i was way. lying
1: down on the couch till the last second before they called us on
0: wow (laughs) oh my gosh we never know they just
1: set me in the chair let's play (laughs) okay here we go all right
0: let's just play (laughs) <laughs> oh man, that, but you uh just to, I mean, it was funny cuz I remember one of the things that really blew my mind at the Ann Arbor show was you were like, we didn't really have much time to rehearse. You guys told the story of how you had just kind of gotten together, uh, mm-hmm. you know, like for a day before the tour started and I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh my god. <gosh>. <laughs> no, I mean,
1: so you know, amazing. Chris is obviously a phenomenal player and we we were very excited to be playing together and just bouncing off each other and inspiring each other. I mean, he's, you know, he's a phenomenon that I think only comes around about one every century. I think we get like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And so uh, for me, it was like, jeez, I've been waiting for this. Why did it take so long? <laughs> yeah. I, I figured there would have been a couple of you by now. Right, right. They just don't come around like that, I've realized very often.
0: Yeah, it's, it's something, something else. Something
1: very, very special.
0: Yeah, you know? for sure, man. It's incredible. We've
1: we've shared a lot over the years, musically, socially, and every way possible. And he's a dear, dear, dear friend.
0: That's great, man. So it's...
1: proud of what he's doing now. You know, with that radio show. Oh yeah, just uh, turning so many people onto the mandolin. That's, you know, it's the mean, best. Jeez, <laughs> I know.
0: I love it, man. But also, you know,
1: just his ability to cover so much ground musically is so so cool and it's stuff that we talked about um, early on you know so to see him pulling it off is great
0: yeah you know another guy you lock into I thought really well too is uh, Edgar Meyer I have somewhere in, in the hard drives oh, yeah. um, there was oh, a, yeah. a radio show that was available online of you two at like some public radio station mm-hmm. well it's another
1: relationship you know you have these um these are relationships you know more than anything they're Mm -hmm. it's not just about the music i mean i've been knowing edgar i think i met him when i was with david grisman bala fleck introduced us to him probably in 1982 you know and we probably started playing together that very next year and so over the course of all those years of developing repertoire and learning how to play together and understanding his background of classical music writing together and we did several different projects which it's just a, it's a it's just a nice long relationship and another somebody who I learned so much from uh particularly about you know just how to practice how to work on music mm-hmm. um uh, he's a very very hard worker very very dedicated and serious and and really knows how to break stuff down uh and build it back up again um and not fluff over uh the details sure he's he's all about making sure that stuff's taken care of and um like we did the project with bail Fleck, uncommon ritual yeah sequencer for instance that's a super slow tempo mm-hmm. and maybe one of our parts would be missing from the sequencer and that person would have to cover their own crown the rest of us would be playing along oh, no, and we bring him. it up like one click at a time Wow! <laughs> over the course of like an hour playing the same <laughs> yeah. and by the end we could actually play it at tempo but if we had tried to play it at tempo uh, early on it would have just been a crash and burn but that was something I learned is about playing, practicing hard stuff slow.
0: Yeah, that's, um, I think a lot of people, and this comes up a lot on this podcast and people are like, oh, he's going to talk about it again. But I, it's such an important part of learning something is that you don't just get this piece of music and play it to tempo. You know, a, a no, person no, like no. you, who is so incredible, if something's new in front of you, you take your time and get it right and get it to oh, tempo,
1: yeah. you know? It's, no, you have to build that stuff up. Slowly, because you got to teach the muscles all those little moves that are needed. Uh, otherwise, they're, not, they're, they're just not turning in the right way, mm-hmm. and, and you're not making enough of a bend to get to something. And so when you do it slow, you actually train the muscles to, to do those turns. And then whether it's right hand or left, it almost doesn't matter. You know, usually it's right hand on the mandolin, believe it or
0: not. Oh, I do believe it. <laughs> I do believe it. It's that it.
1: string crossing stuff, you know, when yeah. you got to go with a downstroke on the E to an upstroke on the D. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's a big, crazy move for us.
0: Yeah. And and, and and a lot of times, like if I'm stumbling over something, if I slow down, it's almost always the pick direction. Of course, almost it's the pick always. direction. You know, you're nope. like, oh, it's down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: No, that's what wow. I'm always preaching on my site. It's very funny. That's it's awesome. A, it's a common one. That's great. But uh, hey, bef- you know, before we go, I wanted to tell you about this new CD, Daryl, and I just finished. Oh, dude, yeah, please duo. do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, just came out, and it's got all this stuff that we some of it we've been playing for a while, but mm-hmm. we had never actually recorded. And then the other half is all new material. There's a couple of Shoros on there. Oh, There's, wow. There's a Swedish uh, polska, and yeah, I hope hope the listeners will look for it. It's called Da Capo. 41 years of playing together.
0: Definitely, I'll link it um, when we do this podcast. I'll link it, and so people oh, can dude. go out there and check it out for sure. And I'll Good. link your web. I'll link your artist works website. And, oh, nice! And you know, and then the Safari as well.
1: Oh, cool! Well, I encourage people to come and join my site. Come take some lessons. Don't be shy. Send those videos in. That's how you get better. Those are the ones that get better.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And if I could just pick your brain, I got a few quick questions. While I say quick, we'll try yeah, to make man. it quick for you because I appreciate sure. your time. And I know you're, uh, you're you know, no, no, Daryl no. and Joe. So um, you know, we already All talked good. some gear stuff a little bit uh, oh, as far as sure. the mandolins. But what about um, like picks and strings? I know some people uh, love to hear this stuff. Right, so. of
1: course. Um, well, pick, I'm, I'm using the ProPlex. 1.6 oh, the big nice. triangle yeah yeah mm-hmm. i've um the strings are still deodario i like the 11.5 16 24 41 those slightly heavier set yeah but i feel that you can lower the action with the heavier strings
2: gotcha
1: and they won't buzz so i'm kind of heading in that direction Use coded or but no I, no going with nice. the regular sure. phosphor. and um and you know this northfield mandolin i've I've been playing that pretty much nonstop. I haven't played the lore in a few years. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. You know, man. I play a lot of duets and so these mandolins have this little balloon in the bottom and this this richness. Mm-hmm. And when for instance I'm playing with Katerina where I'm really covering the bottom, you know, even playing bass lines or need to sustain under her while she's playing a melody yeah. or with Daryl playing the violin over top of me, this thing is working pretty darn nice. That's awesome. People
0: are people are shocked to hear it, but uh, and they're out of Michigan, right? The the yeah, yeah. I'm from Michigan originally. Um, they're they're in Marshall, Michigan. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> look at that. That's perfect. <laughs> and uh,
1: they we do a workshop, and every year we're we're going to do it again next year the Marshall Mandolin Summit. Awesome. So. Be on the look for that. We had Sierra Hall and John Rushman and Don Sternberg last year. So it's a man. <laughs> oh, had, some, had some good times. We had Tim O'Brien and Sarah Girose the year before. Oh, so. wow. Yeah, it's a very serious, fun weekend. I invite
0: any level of player. That's awesome. And then if you had, this is one of the other favorite segments a lot of people seem to enjoy on this podcast is, and this might be tough because you teach so much, but if you had just 10 minutes, if somebody had 10 minutes a day, I have a firm belief that if you pick mm. up the mandolin 10 minutes a day and focus on one thing, even if it's just 10 minutes, it's better than an hour of watching TV and noodling. Oh yeah,
1: no question. That's funny. I, I have. I actually say that to a lot of students
0: <laughs> don't nice. don't
1: make yourself say oh i gotta practice an hour a day right you, then you won't practice at all <laughs> but if you say 10 minutes you'll probably do an hour
0: yeah that's the thing you pick up for 10 minutes and next thing you know you're like your dinner's yeah. burning or you're late for work right, right, right. <laughs> um, no, that's good advice that's so good what would, advice. if you had to recommend just something to do just off the top of your head today and be like you know what this here's a good thing for you to work on for 10 minutes a day
1: wow funny that's a good question um you know, I would also set up a station.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: People need to have like the place where their mandolin playing takes place. So that might be something that somebody does. It's like set up a chair and a desk with your with your stuff, a little whiteboard where you've written the two or three tunes that you want to learn
2: mm-hmm.
1: next nice. that you haven't, or you got, you want you already know the A part to this tune, you want to learn the B part to that tune, and you just write it on the whiteboard, and you have your mandolin on the stand, so when you walk by, you have to look at it, and it calls to you. There you
0: go. <laughs> I'm looking at mine right now. My little, <laughs> I got a little mandolin nerd room here that I love. That kind of and thing can it. go a long way. You know, if you if you
1: already have that space wow, 10 minutes. You know, for everyone, it's going to be something different. Sure. I, I, I love working on just getting a beautiful sound. Yeah, absolutely. Just just making, just working on tone. Mm-hmm. It's something I never stop working on. And, and don't be afraid to try different picks and, and work on that pick angle. Work on just getting that nice lushness out of the mandolin
0: because it's so bright
1: normally right that we want to make it dark and fat and rich and beautiful if we can
0: absolutely that's great advice and All then right. and then the final piece it is mandolins and beer so oh, so i, I do like to you. ask is there a particular beer that you enjoy
1: well you know that
0: i'm living in germany half yes a year, yes gathering
1: the teachers there so we're up in the north and um this is a country that knows something about beer. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> so I'm going to go with Hefeweizen. Oh, great! Yeah, uh, and and Adrian was just there, and he's not drinking alcohol these days, and he was blown away by even the non-alcoholic Hefeweizen in Germany is stunning. No kidding. And works just fine. So I'm you know I lean either that way, or we're also an hour from. From Bel- uh,
0: Belgium. Oh my! So I can
1: go <laughs> the the, the Trappist monk style,
0: yeah. Saint
1: Seitz or Duval pretty easily oh, that's so if great. it's if it's winter and you want something rich. But in the summertime, you know, you got to have your bus.
0: Absolutely. Well, man, Mike, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you um, being – you are just a, obviously busy guy. I mean, just judging from the things you have going on and that you took oh, the time to do this is much appreciated. Geez, thanks.
1: No problem. Pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for creating this thing, and good luck with it. Oh, thank and, uh, you so wish much. wish you all the best with it. Thanks, Mike. Spreading the good Mando word out there. <laughs>
0: That's right. Trying to. All right. All right, everybody. There you have it. A legend mike marshall thanks again to mike be sure to go mike to MikeMarshall.net to check out all the exciting things that mike was talking about there be sure to check out his new album with daryl anger and very special thanks again to my sponsors of course the mandolin cafe and scott Enlow woodworking and new to this episode northfield mandolins thank you guys so much for listening next week is john reichman Uh, Again, please click subscribe and tell your friends. Be sure to go to the Spotify playlist as well. Cheers, everybody. Have a great week.